Good morning, everyone. We have a split scripture today. It is two passages, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. The first passage is from Ecclesiastes, and it is the third chapter and the first eight verses. I think that you'll recognize it. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And the second passage is from the 13th chapter of Luke, Verses 18 through 21. Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of his most precious word. Let us come before the Lord in prayer. Father God, may we be open and sensitive to the moving of your Holy Spirit as we explore your word this morning. We ask that that Spirit would be moving in and through and among us, opening our hearts and minds so that we would be equipped and we would be fertile soil, that we would be able to take the the meanings that you would have us gain from our examination of this Scripture today and that we would be able to plant it in deep that deep fertile soil so that it would take root and show evidence, fruit, in our daily living. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, think about the last uh, several months. We had spring in December. Trees started blooming in January. We had April showers in March this year, and 90-degree weather in May. But summer is coming. And I can say that with 100% confidence and assurance because uh, summer is coming. Now, how do I know this? Well, it always has, right? It always has come. And it has nothing to do with the weather. In fact, in exactly 15 days, summer will arrive, the next season, as it has for every single year since all of us have been alive. Summer will come even though our air conditioners have already been running uh, you know, pretty much full tilt uh, on some days. Seasons, seasons are predictable. 
They happen like clockwork. But change, change can sometimes be unpredictable. Although it's been said that the only thing in life that doesn't change is the fact that there's change. (laughs) We can have a change of habit, a change of heart, change of plans, over all of which we have control or at least some decision-making capabilities. And even a change of circumstance can result in some of our own influence or some of our own input. Circumstances can change, too, from day to day, even from hour to hour. But seasons, on the other hand, seasons come despite anything that we say or do. Seasons happen to us. They aren't the result of any choices that we make. No, instead, they just naturally happen. We could say that it's kind of a a natural progression as far as seasons are concerned. And a lot of things go through seasons. People go through seasons. Relationships go through seasons. So do families. Even churches go through seasons. And seasons aren't about us. They occur in spite of us. It's how we respond to them in our daily living that indicates what's what's important to us, what our response is, what our motivation is, where our heart is. Some of you know uh, Connie's dad, Dick Labagurn. Pop is uh, 95 years old, and he still drives. He drives regularly up to Lancaster to visit one of his high school buddies. He bowls twice a week. He is the only person I know who ever wore out a bowling ball. Had to get a new bowling ball. Said, did you get a lighter one? Oh, yeah, I got a lighter one. What'd you get? 14 pounds. What did the other weigh? 15. He plays golf. He's just, the last couple years, started to use a cart. And a few years ago, he painted his entire house. Whole house. Not just the trim, the whole house. Connie would drive by secretly in the late afternoon to make sure he hadn't fallen off of a ladder and was lying in the backyard. He never was. Never was. And Connie and I were talking about his outlook on life, and she has found, and she believes this, that her dad tries to accept whatever happens to him. Uh, As different seasons come into his life, he doesn't hold on to the negative things. Instead, he makes every attempt to let go of them. And that could be one secret uh, to his longevity, perhaps. Well, Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, has the seasons of life all covered for us in the first eight verses of the third chapter. We're hard-pressed to think of any other seasons of life that are not included on his list. And when the seasons of life confront us, the challenge most often is to know how do we respond. There are choices as to how we respond, aren't there? And I suppose most clear to us would be there's a time to mourn and a time to dance. That's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, you don't dance when you're supposed to be mourning and vice versa. But how about knowing when to keep silence and when to speak up? That's a little bit more difficult to discern, isn't it? And aren't there times when you say, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. (laughs) You know, on the surface, Ecclesiastes 3 appears to be a list of opposites. Born, die, break down, 
build up, lose, keep, keep, or I should say seek and lose, and then keep and throw away. And then there's the one that talks about embracing. And I always have to point this out. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Because what's the opposite of an embrace? What's the opposite of a hug? You know, there isn't anything. It's just not doing it, right? You just, you just can't do it. Uh, there's no such thing as a half of a hug either. Have you ever tried to hug someone and they don't hug you back? Really, that's really uncomfortable, isn't it? You know, I remember years ago, we had a staff member at the elementary school where I was principal come back from a conference and say, we are no longer allowed to hug the children. And I said, wait a minute. You're telling me that if a second grader comes up and throws his or her arms around me, I'm to just go like this? I couldn't do it. And I said, as long as I'm principal at this school, we will hug the children that need hugs. And I have lots of pairs of pants that evidence that from walking through the cafeteria at lunchtime. There's a chocolate pudding stain and a spaghetti stain. (laughs) You know, these opposites, as I said, they represent choices. The ability to choose. You know, that's one of the things that... uh, is is godlike in our own abilities. It's a part that separates us from other living creatures that operate only on instinct. You know, our minds give us the opportunity to choose, to evaluate, to discern, to decide what course we're going to take. And you know, I've I've heard the research and, and I, I believe the research about automatic choices that we, we make in certain extreme situations, you know, that fight or flight response. I understand that. But the vast, vast majority of decisions that we make do not have to be instantaneous. You know, uh, even though we often rely on those knee-jerk reactions. We do live in an instant society, you know, the whole thing with fast food and movies on demand and uh, sign-and-drive credit. Stores are designed for impulse buying. And all of this sometimes spills over into our decision-making. And we think we have to make a decision right away. And I will say this. More often than not, I regret decisions that I've made in haste. And especially words that I've spoken in haste. In many of those cases, I later decided to either set things right or apologize for comments that I had made without thinking. Somebody in the first service came up to me and said, uh, you know, one of the things I'm going to do when I get to heaven is I've got to apologize to a lot of people. You know, these words that we find in Ecclesiastes, so many of them are negative. Die, mourn, kill, hate, war. You know, what do we do about those? God wants us to be happy, right? Well, maybe not the way we would like to be happy. You see, we like to have everything smooth, everything easy, no bumps or barriers or conflict or friction. You know, it would be nice, wouldn't it? But think about it. If there was no resistance, we would never grow stronger. You know, in space, where there's no gravity, zero gravity, What do they have to do? They have to create resistance for the astronauts so that they don't lose their muscle tone, so that they can exercise and and not get weaker and weaker. 
And you know, the other thing is, if everything was smooth all the time, we would never learn anything. I mean, think about all the lessons that you've learned in your life from mistakes that you've made. (laughs) They come pretty fast and furious sometimes, don't they? And the learning is usually pretty good. And if you don't learn the first time, those mistakes are always there to reteach us, just like that garden rake with the kids, with the children's sermon. We want the good seasons to last. We want them to never end. Remember Peter at the Transfiguration? You know, what did he want to do? He wanted to stay on that mountaintop. He wanted to build three shelters and just be there all the time. And then later, when Jesus foretold about some of the hard seasons that were coming, he didn't want to hear about it at all. He rebuked Jesus. Are we any different? You know, how do you handle the seasons in life? Do you you ever feel like a big pinball and a gigantic pinball machine, you know, bouncing here and careening off this object until you bounce off of some other obstacle? Do you feel mired down in a pit of remorse or of self-pity? Perhaps you feel confused or oppressed or unimportant. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by the seasons of life? You know, in the verses that follow our text in Ecclesiastes for this morning, Solomon talks about what he's just written. And I'd like to read verses 9 through 13 that, that follow our text for today. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, and also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Sounds great. But I kind of think that was easy for Solomon to say. I mean, he's sitting in a palace, and he has servants waiting on him, and he's got this big pile of gold and a big pile of anything else, you know, anything that he wanted. <laughs> Contrast it to what Jesus said about how we live. He said, in this life, you will have trouble. And the ESV says, in this life, you will have tribulation. Do you know where the word tribulation comes from? It's a Latin. I'm going to tell you. It's a Latin word. Uh, Tribulum. Take a look at at this. This is a tribulum. Now, he's just not taking like a surfing ride there, all right? The tribulum was a farming implement. And show the next slide, Cheyenne. Look at what it looks like on the bottom. It's embedded with these sharp pieces of flint-like stone. And they would run it over top of the wheat that had been harvested. And the purpose of all of those pieces of sharp stone were to shred and grind and rip and tear the wheat and then eventually separate the kernels of wheat from the chaff. And so when Jesus says, in this life you will have tribulation, he says, you're going to be treated like the wheat 
gets treated by the tribulum. We don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear that. But thankfully, he didn't stop there. In the rest of that verse, he said, but take heart because I have overcome the world. But it still doesn't mean that we're exempt from, uh, from suffering or struggles or difficulties. Solomon knew also that seasons would come into our lives. He recognized that fact. But even with all of the wisdom that he possessed, I don't think he had the big picture. I don't think he had the full picture. There's a story that's told, and this is extra biblical, okay? This is not found in the Bible. This is a tradition that followed uh, Solomon. But a story is told that he desired to teach one of his most trusted ministers a lesson. And he asked this minister, whose name was Benaiah ben Jehoiada, to get him a certain ring that he wanted to wear at the Feast of Tabernacles, which was six months away. And Benaiah boasted, if such a ring exists, dear king, I will have it for you. He said it before he heard the description of the ring. Then Solomon described the ring, and he said, if a happy man looks at it, he becomes sad. And Solomon said, if a sad man looks at it, he becomes happy. Now Solomon knew that no such ring existed. But he wanted to teach Benaiah a lesson in humility. And so the months went by, and Benaiah searched everywhere to no avail. And finally, on the morning before the feast, he was walking in one of the poorest quarters of Jerusalem in the market area, and he watched an elderly merchant as he was beginning to lay out his wares on a rug on the ground. And Benaiah asked him, Have you heard of a ring that makes the happy wearer forget his joy and the broken-hearted wearer forget his sorrows. The old man spoke not a word, but he took a single plain gold ring from his carpet, and he engraved something on it, and he handed it back to Benaiah, and when Benaiah read the inscription, he broke out into a wide smile. Fast forward to that night, the time of the feast, The entire city is celebrating and welcoming the feast. And as soon as King Solomon saw Benaiah, he said, My friend, have you found what I sent you after? And all of the other ministers laughed. I guess they were in on the joke. And Solomon even smiled. But to everyone's surprise, Benaiah reached in his pouch and he pulled out the ring and he handed it to Solomon. Here it is, your majesty, he said. And Solomon took the ring and he read the inscription, And as soon as he read it, his smile vanished. What did the inscription say? This too shall pass. This too shall pass. You see, in that moment, Solomon realized that all of his wisdom, all of his fabulous wealth, all of his power were but fleeting things, and that one day all of it, including Solomon himself, would be dust. You see, seasons come, but seasons also go. Isaiah possessed the necessary sense of urgency when he wrote, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 
And Jesus emphasized this again and again, calling us to fully live in the present. Take one day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. And he told us that so much of what we know and rely on is not kingdom-based. The first in this world, they're going to be last. And the last, they're going to be first. Your enemies, love them. The smallest, most seemingly insignificant gifts, God views them as the biggest. In our second reader reading from Luke, Jesus likens the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? It's not much bigger than a period at the end of a sentence. Small beginnings, but tremendous earth-moving potential. And he compares the kingdom of God also to yeast. You know, compared to the whole batch, the yeast was only a minuscule amount. My dad was a a third-generation baker in our family bakery. Spring City. And I grew up watching my dad make dough in order to make dough. He bought flour in 100-pound bags. Yeast, he bought in pound cakes. They were about this big, about that square. Much, much smaller. Compared to the other ingredients, the yeast was completely insignificant. But try making cinnamon buns without it. You know, it was really like magic as a kid when you would see this lump of dough put in this big proofing bowl about this big around, and then there was this cloth that was put over the top of it, and time would go by, and the dough would actually start to push on the top of that cloth. And we always would fight to be there right when Dad punched the dough down, you know. That yeasty smell would just come flooding out of that dough. Without the yeast it would have just sat as a lump on the bottom of that bowl. So what's the message? Well, if we couple these comparisons of mustard seeds and yeast with Jesus' statement in Luke 17, the kingdom of God is within you, that means that we have all that we need to meet each season of life as it comes. Do you remember what else Jesus compared mustard, a mustard seed to? Faith right? And he said it was the amount that we needed in order to move a mountain. Well, there are more than 31,000 verses in the Bible, and I want to share one more for you, with you. Uh, It's a verse that has been like yeast in my own life, and I, I like it in the American Standard Version the best. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You see, it's not all about us. It's about God. In fact, in spite of us, God causes all things, and you can insert all seasons there, to work together for good. This statement by Paul in Romans 8 indicates his rock-solid faith. And he goes on to say, if God is for us, Who can be against us? And that nothing, no thing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, uh, one of the most repeated messages in the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, is do not be afraid. Do you know how many times it's mentioned in the Bible? Do not be afraid. 365 times. You ever heard that number before? 
<laughs> I think there's a reason for that. I think there's a reason for that. There's one for each day of the year. You know, it, it is what we uh, often allow the changing seasons of our life to do. Cause us fear. We fear the unknown. We fear the future. Uh, we fear something that we've never done or dealt with before. But we're to remember Emmanuel, God with us. And if God is with us, who can be against us? Maybe, just maybe, it's not so much how we respond to the different seasons that come into our life as much as how we allow ourselves to be changed by those seasons. Maybe, just maybe, if we look for how God is causing all things to work together for good, we'll figure out that the seasons of life don't happen to us. They happen for us. Now, it takes practice. There's a learning curve here, big time. Even Paul, oh my. You know, and it's especially true of the seasons that we might describe as not good. What did Paul say? I have learned to be content. It didn't come naturally. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation. He had to learn it. And content is not just another word for happy. Content is another word for joy, true joy. Now, as you travel through the season of life that you're in right now, how is God working things for the better? Look for it, because we have that promise, and He is. What is it that He would have you realize during this season of life? What is it that He would have you let go of? Or maybe what is it that He would have you grab a hold of. Often it's something small, like uh, a mustard seed or yeast, but it has amazing potential. Potential to connect you to Christ and to the atoning work that he did on Calvary's cross for you. Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, in this life we know that seasons come and seasons go. We read in 1 Peter where he quotes from Isaiah, All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Father, through your word, be that constant in each of our lives. Encourage us, convict us, so that we might take full advantage of your word. May we allow you into our lives so that we would be able to mold and shape those lives. Help us to take our words, our actions, even our thoughts, and allow you as the master potter to mold and shape them. Help us to remember that you may call us to be that small mustard seed or that pinch of yeast in someone else's life so that your spirit might work its miracle in their lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.